Welcome to the Temple Forum, a podcast from First United Methodist Church in the heart of Chicago. Here we welcome a diversity of voices and conversation about how we live in the world as people of faith. Hello, I'm Jan Engmeyer. This installment of the Temple Forum features a conversation with Nissan Chavkin, the Executive Director of the Council of Religious Leaders of Metropolitan Chicago. This is an organization with a rich, deep history in Chicago of a community of religious leaders and followers from a wide variety of faith and spiritual traditions. Welcome. We are really glad to have you on the Temple Forum. Boy, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us about your organization. What is it? Who's involved? And also, please fill us in on the history. Sure. I'll do, do what I can. Uh, the council... Uh, which is so big we have two prepositions in our name. Uh, our, our goal is really to promote cooperation, understanding, and collaboration among the many faith communities of Chicago in service to the common good. Uh, we've been around uh, since the early 80s. We're coming up on 40 years here, and we are a group of leaders. So it's literally the, it's, it's like uh, uh, the bishop, from the United Methodist Church for the Northern Conference, as well as the Cardinal of the Archdiocese and the Metropolitan from the Greek Orthodox Metropolis and so on. Uh, those sorts of people, as well as uh, the executives or the leaders of organizations or communities that don't have a hierarchical leadership, like the Chicago Board of Rabbis or the Council of Islamic Organizations or the Buddhist uh, Council of the Midwest, places like that. And we run from uh, Anglican to Zoroastrian. We, we cover just about everybody here uh, in the metropolitan area. And um, our work is basically, I put it in these four categories. Uh, we definitely promote interfaith understanding and respect. Uh, we try to um, provide resources and support for local congregations and religious communities. We work on peace and social justice and social welfare issues for our community at large. And in general, try to be, speak as a, the unified moral voice of the interfaith community writ large on issues that face our city and, and our greater community. Uh, and we've been doing that, as I said, for about 40 years. Uh, some highlights have included uh, various products and programs that we conduct to promote interfaith understanding. Uh, speaking out on issues of interfaith concern, uh, working to fill interfaith gaps. Uh, as one example, uh, during the um, evacuation of Americans from uh, New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina, many thousands came here to Chicago. Uh, the city did a great job of absorbing them and providing them with a wealth of resources. But there was one resource that the city didn't provide and the council was able to fulfill was to uh, set up a program where when you were coming in, if you needed to find a place to live, you could get that and look for jobs, you could do that. If you wanted to hook up with your community, your faith community, council directed you to the right place there. So it's just one example of many of when the council tries to offer that kind of service for the people of our city. Wonderful. When I was looking at your website, I noticed that you've issued a lot of statements on um, issues such as mass shootings 
acts of anti-Semitism, violence in Chicago, police conduct, COVID-19. You know, we hear that people are getting tired of quote unquote thoughts and prayers without substantive action. So what do you hope is achieved with these types of public statements? And the statements are good, uh, don't get me wrong there. The statements are good, but, but what effect have they had or do you hope that they will have? It's always hard to say what uh, effect a statement has. Uh, sometimes it's important just to be heard. Uh, the council uh, doesn't speak about overseas issues. We speak about uh, these days about our about where we're supposed to be leaders, uh, where the council members are leaders, and that's here in the city and uh, here in the country. And there are occasions when it's just important that. Religious leaders, regardless of their background, say something in common and say together. Um, I have been approached, I've lost count of the people who approach and say, it's so uplifting or it's so important that you are all working together. And to offer that united voice is very important in and of itself many times. Increasingly, the council has, like the rest of us, come to the conclusion that words without actions are less effective. And so on all of these issues, uh, we try to not only say something, but then to do something. Uh, so as an example, um, with uh, police conduct in our city, uh, we've been working uh, most recently with the Chicago Police Department uh, as part of their consent decree to develop one of the things that they were missing, which was a policy for working with faith communities. How do they treat members of those communities, their institutions, their uh, traditions with respect, even when someone is being questioned or even taken into police custody. Uh, they, were, they had no protocol. So police officers aren't trained for this. Um, they, there's no reason for them to know all this information that we know. So we said, of course, we'll help you. And we've worked with the police department to develop uh, something It's their policy called uh, GSO2-05, I can't remember the number, but uh, it's one of the, it's called Religious Interactions. And it's one of the first policies in the nation that does a comprehensive look at how do you deal with folks? Uh, how do we understand faith communities in our city? Uh, what are the religious freedoms and rights that we need to look after for people of faith and of people without faith? Uh, who makes the judgment as to whether someone is a, a good follower or not of the uh, tradition is less important? Uh, but there's ways that you need to treat them. You don't put their holy books on the ground. You don't enter their place of worship without asking. You don't just tromp around in the middle of a service. Now, most of that, most of the time is known to CPD, uh, but now it's policy. And so even those who were, weren't quite paying attention in class that day know that it's important to do and not doing it, there are consequences. And that's part of building up what uh, Superintendent Beck used to call about the level of trust and respect. You can't have good policing without trust and respect both ways. The community has to trust the police and the police have to trust the community. And uh, that takes time and it takes work and it takes good faith efforts. Uh, and we're happy to be part of that. So that's one example. A second example is COVID-19. We produced a lot of resources during the initial months of the pandemic to help congregations that were suddenly forced to go virtual. We produced resources on how to reopen your building safely. When grant funds were available, we put together, we applied and are now working with 20 congregations 
I'm happy to say many of them from the Methodist community across the city of Chicago uh, to get people vaccinated, to go the last mile, as they say, and reach the people who have been hesitant or uncertain or confused or didn't have a, the way to get downtown to one of those big vaccination centers, or maybe don't have their own doctor, but they can have it in the comfort of their church. Uh, and that's been uh, a very gratifying way to help people help themselves. And uh, the council, that's one of the ways we're trying to put words with action. And those are great examples of putting faith into action there. What are some of the other current issues that are being addressed by the council? And are there ways that people who are listening to this can get involved? Ah, it's a good question there. Um, well, as I mentioned, we're involved in police reform efforts, uh, trying to work on that. Uh, following any number of high-profile shootings about which the council has been working and responding to for decades, sadly, in this country. Uh, we are have contacted the legislature here in Illinois and are trying to work with partners in gun violence prevention to uh, trying to see if we can get as a state a statewide ban on assault weapons. We think that's important. We think that's a step in the right direction toward the values that everyone on this council agrees with. We all value respect human life. Um, and it's not about, and we think that we can do that if we um, advance the ball, if we by blocking um, uh, assault weapons. So that's something that, of course, we're not advocating, uh, we're not lobbying in that way, but uh, people are always welcome to outreach to their uh, elected public officials and say, this is something that makes sense for our state, and they're welcome to contact their representatives in Springfield. Uh, another thing that we are working on, we're continuing to work with COVID-19 and other kinds of congregational security and safety measures. Uh, the, the council was part of a coalition. Uh, oh, to back up, the state of Illinois has created a state-level nonprofit security grant program that's open to churches and to religious institutions across Illinois. If you have a security change you want to implement in yours congregation, you can apply for a grant from the state. And uh, Illinois has just allocated $20 million towards this program. It's very exciting. It's going to go into effect in 2023. And congregations should apply. They should contact uh, the, the bishop and contact uh, 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 Reverend Christofferson and all those other fine people who work downtown. Uh, they'll have the information once it's available. And getting people to apply and take advantage of this resource is a really good thing that they can do right there in their congregations. A final thing uh, just to mention is we're very concerned about and believe in the future of interfaith relations in our city. The council, religious seniority often works, uh, defaults to older people. Uh, lots of wisdom there, which is great, but we know lots of people are coming up and who want to know how to build coalitions and work in partnership with folks in other neighborhoods, from other churches, from other religious traditions altogether, because it's hard to get things done by yourself. Uh, it's much easier if we all go together. Uh, and there are lessons that the council knows about how to do that and uh, to do it in an effective and honest way uh, without compromising one's principles, which is very important. Uh, and so we're working with young leaders in our city to do that. In fact, we'll have a conference uh, in November for uh, 
pastors, uh, uh, young young leadership, 45 and under, to uh, attend. So we'll be sending out information about that. If you think your pastor is ripe for this thing, please contact Reverend Christofferson or the bishop's office, and uh, we'll have information ready for you in the fall. Wonderful. And one of the most high-profile events that your organization coordinates is the annual Interfaith Thanksgiving Observance. It's a, just a magnificent program that is hosted at the Chicago Temple, the First it's United Methodist Church. It's a wonderful hosting by Chicago Temple. It is our, our, <laughs> our go-to place for that wonderful event for, I think, almost 30 years now. It's been a yep. great honor. Location, 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 but it, <laughs> it's it's a wonderful service, and we're uh, proud to host it every year, honored. Um, and it's just a great reminder of the breadth of the uh, faith traditions that are alive and well in the Chicago area, as you said earlier, literally from A to Z. Um, we we have a wide variety here. Why is it so important to hold this observance each year? And even considering those who might say we shouldn't celebrate Thanksgiving because of the treatment of Native Americans, although I believe Native Americans are involved in the observance. Well, that's a good question. Uh, I, I'll, let me uh, start with the first part there. I think all of our traditions, uh, have certain common values, and that's really a key foundation of the council. There are things we all hold in common. We differ on a lot of fundamental stuff, but we believe in the dignity of people. Um, we believe in recognizing how precious human life is and our time here on this earth is. And every tradition in the council has a way of saying thanks for that unique opportunity it is to be alive and to be on this earth. And so it is a good symbol to participate in. Uh, we need symbols in which we can participate to affirm our values as well as um, the works of our hands are not limited solely to feeding the hungry, which is a byproduct of the Thanksgiving observance. We may take a collection and we give the money out to food pantries that are working all across the city. So we are doing things with our hands, but we are also demonstrating that we can, despite our differences and our different approaches to these issues, join together in this common human affirmation of thanks. And uh, however we express it, to whomever we express it, uh, that's something we can all do together. And we can do it all together without the roof caving in, right? We can, it's, it's possible <laughs> for us to do that as a diverse community uh, here in Chicago and indeed across the country and around the world. Uh, the question of whether to celebrate Thanksgiving uh, is, is a legitimate question. We have had, since the inception of the service, uh, the observance, uh, the participation of the American Indian community here in Chicago, uh, they are, they open the program always, uh, and they have joined in this effort. So I do not presume that they are, uh, misguided. <laughs> uh, they have elected to participate and we follow their lead. They have not said that this is wrong for us to do. So uh, that answer may be different for different American Indians and different Native Americans, First Peoples uh, in different parts of Chicago and across uh, the country and across North America, but um, we're grateful that they're there and they find meaning in being there. So I don't know if that answers your question. 
It does. And I like your statements of uh, we all have much to be thankful for um, and we all have more in common um, than our differences. And finding common um, is very, very, very important. <laughs> all right. So that leads to the next question. though. Ah, so okay. how can we as people of faith or simply people who just care about social justice issues and treating others with dignity and respect? have more of a voice in this current environment of fear, misinformation, and hateful speech and action. You know, not everything is doom and gloom, but uh, civil discourse does seem to be challenging these days. Uh, it is challenging these days. Finding ways to trust each other uh, is very hard. Uh, and I would submit, to speaking personally, that there are large vested interests in making sure that that doesn't happen. There are people who find profit uh, and gain in sowing hate and fear. That's a fact. Um, I think we can and we must, if we wish to create the society that we say we want, we must be ready to act and move forward uh, with hope and trust and and faith i think uh, so part of that work is finding opportunities to work together with people who might be different from us in terms of our neighborhoods in terms of our backgrounds in terms of our beliefs uh, and i don't think we have to push ourselves to find the most different person we can think of uh, it starts with our neighbors it starts with the people we work with. It starts with the people who are on our, who go to school with our children uh, and other parents. It starts with our congregations, which uh, if your congregation is like mine, certainly has its levels of diversity and occasional discord. Uh, and that's okay because humans differ. That's natural. That's the way we're built. I believe it's the way we were created to be different and differences lead to disagreements. How we address and resolve those disagreements and embrace those differences, how we respond to those things, that's the difference. And we can respond by saying, not that I'm going to change someone, but I want to know, why is it? What, do, what are you doing? Um, what are, why do you behave this way? What, why is this celebration meaningful to you? Uh, why are you doing this and not that? What do we have in common that we might build so that I'm a good neighbor to you, that I'm a, a parent who watches after your child as well as mine, that I worship with you and feel comfortable with you, that I can work with you and be a respectful colleague, uh, that we can be as citizens in the broadest sense, um, equal and respectful of each other. That's something I think we can do on the micro level and the congregational level and on the community level and and i can't think of a more important time in the history of this country than now to practice those modest but essential behaviors i like that is there anything else that you would like to add <laughs> well uh but we haven't covered you know i wanted to just um let the let listeners know that the council publishes an annual interfaith calendar it's very beautiful uh, and we also because it's the 21st century 
now have a digital version. Uh, and both of them are available on our website. You can, which is at www.crlmc.org. Uh, look under, I think it's under activities. Um, and there will be a, a nod there for the interfaith calendar, which you can order. Uh, it's uh, for a modest cost, but it comes with 17 different religious communities, all of their holidays, explanations about what those observances mean, background information about each community, beautiful art. Um, that's the print one. And then the app, you can download and put it in Apple, or you can put it on Android. And our next version, which is coming, version 2.0, which is coming out later this fall, we hope we'll have images in it too. Uh, so it's just a nice little visual symbol of how we can coexist um, and do so in a respectful way that doesn't say I'm better than you are, or doesn't say you have to be like me, but says, oh, that's pretty interesting. I do it different, but okay, that works. I get it now. Knowledge is always a good thing, right? It's, we know more about each other, right? We can it, it understand to, each other. It helps to know, and I think knowledge knowledge is not enough, but it helps to be, uh, it allows us to ask the right questions that allows us to get the basics from another person that begins to lay the foundation for maybe I can trust them to do something together. And if we can do this thing together, then maybe we can do something else together. And we might not always agree on every last thing. Who does? But it does allow us, knowledge gets us down the path to ask good questions, listen respectfully, and find some common ground. That's a wonderful place to end our conversation. So thank you very much, Nissan Chapkin, for letting us know more about the work of the Council of Religious Leaders of Metropolitan Chicago. And on behalf of the Council, thank you so much for, for asking me to speak with you today. Thanks. I'm Jan Engmeyer. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Temple Forum. You've been listening to the Temple Forum from First United Methodist Church in Chicago. You can find more conversations like this online at chicagotemple.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us again soon.